Well, hello there, everyone. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to, for you to find Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at one, what is, to me, one of the most provocative stories in all of Scripture. Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to start reading here in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road. It goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture, and then what follows here is a quote from Isaiah's prophecy. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him, the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. How do you share your faith in Christ without turning people off? I mean, Jesus has told us that we're to let our light shine, right? He's told us that we're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that certainly includes the capital district. It includes when you're on vacation, when you're at work through the week. It includes wherever we find ourselves. But how do we do that? I mean, let's face it. This whole idea of talking to people about our most cherished beliefs, it just makes most of us a bit uncomfortable. No, no, no. It's not that we're ashamed of Christ. It's just that it feels a bit awkward in a culture like this. And we don't always feel prepared to know what to say or or how to say it. Well, if you've ever wanted to let your light shine, if you've ever wanted for God to use your life to make a difference so that people around you would know the hope you have in Christ, I think you're going to really get a lot from today's message because... In the story we just read, Philip is a fabulous example of how to be an effective witness. 
So with your Bible open to Acts chapter 8, I want us to go on a little journey now as we consider five qualities that Philip possessed that God honored to help make him an effective witness for Christ. So quality number one was this, the effective witness is open to divine appointments, open to divine appointments. I would suggest to you that whenever someone comes to Christ, typically there are at least three factors at work. I want you to all note these now. The first one is there's a hungry soul. God is stirring someone, giving them a hunger for knowing God. Second, there's a Christian that is open to divine appointments. And third, there is the guidance of Almighty God. Now, uh, we could camp out here a long time, but I quickly want to give you three examples of these things from Acts 8, Acts 9, and Acts 10, all right? In Acts 8, the story we're looking at today, it's the Ethiopian man who is the hungry soul. God is stirring something up in his life and drawing this man to Christ for salvation. Philip is the Christian in Acts 8, who's open to a divine appointment. Of course, God is guiding through the whole thing. But then if you went to Acts chapter 9, you see yet another example of these three things at work. In Acts 9, the hungry soul is Saul of Tarsus. Later, we know him as the Apostle Paul. But at this point, he's not a Christian at all. In fact, he hates Christians. He has devoted his life to stamp out this movement called the way, which is what Christianity was first called among some people. And so he's on his way to Damascus to persecute and imprison Christians, but God strikes him blind on the road to Damascus. And then later, here's where this comes in, the Christian who's open to a divine appointment is a man known as Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go over to the straight that's called street that's called Straight Street. Most of the streets in that day were winding and curvy like this. And so they were brilliant in naming this street. They called it Straight Street because it was straight. Oh, you're so good. Yes, you're sharp as a tack. It was a straight street, kind of unusual for that day. There's a man there, and I want you to go talk to him. And Ananias did. And Saul was converted to Christ and he received the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter nine. But then quickly in Acts chapter 10, the hungry soul is a Roman centurion named Cornelius, okay? And he was a righteous man in some ways, even though he wasn't a believer yet. He was morally good. He gave to the poor. In fact, he had provided a synagogue for the Jewish people and his good works were pleasing to God. There's only one problem. Good works doesn't save you. Hope everybody hears that. Any altruistic, benevolent works that a woman or man does, God is pleased with that, but good works never saved anybody, never has, never will. And in spite of all of his good deeds, Cornelius was as lost as he could be. The Christian who was open to a divine appointment in Acts 10 was Simon Peter. He took a nap one afternoon, 
And God gave him a vision in the form of a dream. And in his dream, he was told to eat some unclean animals. And Peter said, no, Lord, no, I can't do that. And he woke up. And then he went to sleep again and essentially had the same vision. And it happened three times in a row. And finally he said, wow, God's getting my attention here. Apparently, some things that I think are unclean, God is declaring clean. And because he was open to divine appointments, God said, hey, get up, Peter, go to the house of Cornelius, where there is a hungry soul. He is a hungry man right now, spiritually speaking. And so Simon Peter obeyed, and he got there and realized, whoa, this is Gentile. At first, he was like hesitant. Because at that time, they didn't believe that Gentiles could actually become followers of Jesus. But suddenly, he realized what his visions had been about. And that Gentiles can indeed come into a saving relationship with God. And Simon Peter led Cornelius to Christ. So I hope you see the pattern. Three things coming together. A hungry soul, a Christian open to divine appointments, at the guidance of Almighty God. And any time a Christian is open to God's moving and guidance, God will give you some appointments. The Spirit will nudge you and say, go here, do that, do such and such. But we need to be sensitive to those divine promptings. And we obediently say, yes, Lord, who do you want me to be in touch with today? What a divine appointment do you have for me? Now we read in verse 26 here, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. That is so impressive to me because he was preaching a successful evangelistic campaign at the time in Samaria when he received that call from God through the angel. And when that call came, Philip said, I'm going to obey. I I'm not sure that would have been easy for me to do. I mean, he's seeing these awesome visible results from the preaching there in Samaria. That would be hard to walk away from. You say, well, what was actually going on? Well, if you go back earlier in chapter 8, verse 6 and following describes some of what was happening. When the crowds heard Philip, by the way, Philip is the only individual in the New Testament who is actually called an evangelist. Later, we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John evangelist, but in the scriptures, Philip is the only one designated as evangelist. I throw that in for the Bible nerds out there who like geeky kind of things, all right? That's just for free, all right? So he's preaching, and when the people saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Wow. I'm impressed that apparently Philip had a flexible mindset about God's work. He was willing to break his routine and move in obedience to the prompting of God. 
And I'm struck also by the promptness of his obedience. In verse 26, when God said through the angel, go, verse 27 says, so he started out. So he started out. There seems to be no hesitancy in following God's prompting. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm absolutely convinced that God has some people, some of whom you've never met, some of whom you, you know on some level, and God is going to give you divine appointments with them. But for that to happen, it means that we must be walking daily in step with the Spirit. We've got to be close enough. We've got to be open enough to God to sense those promptings. And at times, it's going to mean we need to depart from our routine. That's going to be hard for some of you. You will not want to do that. You'll say, no, I'm not comfortable departing from my routine. But if that encounter is going to happen, even though you don't fully understand the whys and the hows, when we obey God, some marvelous things can happen. The second quality that we see in Philip is the effective witness is persevering, persevering. What I'm saying is this took some physical effort and hard work on his part. Look at verse 29 with me. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Some translations say, attach yourself to the chariot. It just, it just means you need to be in sync with its movements. You need to be nearby is what the Greek word means. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. Now, the text is pretty clear that Philip didn't have a chariot. Philip was on foot. He wasn't on horseback. He, 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 had, he was on foot this whole time. And so I assume that the chariot, probably in a hurry to get back home, back to his home down in Africa, I assume it was moving at a pretty fast clip. And God says, Philip, go and join yourself. Go stay up with that chariot. Stay near it. And he's doing all of this on foot. That must have been quite a feat. Now, why does he need to stay near it? Because the crucial moment hasn't come yet. This man is reading, and the crucial moment's going to come when he gets to Isaiah 53, where it describes the death of Jesus in all of its prophetic glory and detail. That's the moment, Philip, when you're going to engage him with the question. Now, I can't prove this. I can't prove this at all. But the man may have only been in Isaiah chapter 20 at the time. And so Philip's got to keep up for 33 more chapters, running alongside, staying up with the chariot. Stick with this man, because a harvest is coming, Philip, if you don't give up. Perseverance. Brothers and sisters, when God moves in a hungry soul and puts that person on your heart, and prompts you to pray for him or her, and maybe to talk with that person. It may take some time. I told you some time back about Beckett Cook's sister-in-law. 
Beckett was a young man far from God, but his sister-in-law prayed for him for 20 long years before he surrendered his life to Christ. And as I shared, she prayed Acts 26, 18, that God would open his eyes, turn him from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that he would receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. I wonder how she felt at year 19. Sees no fruit whatsoever. She's faithfully been praying. She's been interceding for Beckett and she can see no visible result. It's been 19 long years. I'm sure she was tempted to give up. I think I might've given up but she stuck with it and she persevered in prayer and in her witness to him. And I tell you, when God lays someone on your heart, and he will, I urge you to go for it and do not give up. Philip was not only open to the divine appointment, but he also had the tenacity to persevere and see it through. Third principle I want you to consider, the effective witness takes the initiative when appropriate. Let's look again at verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. He took initiative, but notice he took it in a non-aggressive way. He wasn't abrasive. He didn't say, hey, dude, I'm out here doing a survey on why people are going to hell. I just wonder why you're going. Because you are going to hell, you know. No, he wasn't abrasive like that. No, nor was he condescending in any way in his spirit. He'd say, hey, man, I see you're reading the book of Isaiah there. Wow, what a book that is. Amazing. Have you ever heard of the Deutero-Isaiah theory? You know, a lot of scholars believe that at least two authors wrote Isaiah, not just one, but I'm sure in your biblical ignorance, you don't know anything about that. No. He wasn't abrasive. He wasn't condescending. He didn't look down in any way at this man. He just asked a question. Do you ever ask people questions? One of the ways we can be effective witnesses is learn to ask good questions. Ask people about their life. Show interest in them. Ask them where they think the world is going. Ask them if there are any needs they have that maybe you could pray for. Let them know, hey, I, I love to pray for people. Is there anything I could pray about for you? Ask them why they think there are so many problems in our culture and in our communities. Ask them why in a, in a day when people are supposed to be more connected than ever by social media, ask them why loneliness, everybody agrees, that loneliness is at epidemic proportions. How can that be in a world like this? And then stop talking and listen. Questions, questions. Learn to, learning to ask provocative questions that begin with what or how or, or sometimes the word why. 
and then really listening to a person and continuing to probe. It's a great way to take initiative in a non-aggressive way. You say, well, why are you so high on this question asking? Because Jesus was. We ought to take his, our clues from him a lot more than we do. He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? He asked his enemies, hey, I got a question for you guys. The ministry and the baptism of John the Baptist, did it have its source in man or in God? He asked a man who'd been sick for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda, do you want to get well? He asked the woman by the well in Samaria, may I have a drink of water? And in our story today, Philip took the initiative by running alongside the chariot and asking, hey, do you understand that stuff that you're reading? He could see that God was already at work in the man's heart, and then he gave attention to his answer. Now, here's the deal. My guess is that you have people in your life, neighbors, friends, coworkers, family, folks you interact with in the community that you talk with regularly, but it probably, I'm making an assumption here, if this doesn't fit you, this shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. I'm assuming you seldom go beyond surface conversation. I know how that is. It feels comfortable. You talk about how to grow a garden. You talk about the weather. You talk about the latest viral videos. Well, have you seen that video? It is so hilarious. You talk about your children. You talk about your grandchildren. You talk about the economy. You talk about your sports team and how they're doing or not doing so well but you seldom turn the corner or make the pivot to spiritual things. Why? Because it just feels a little awkward or invasive. I would suggest you try questions. Ask a good question and then listen well, and it'll help build a deeper rapport and dialogue with people. I kid you not. I feel confident of what I'm about to say. God has people right now in your orbit that he's already preparing their hearts. And when the time is right, you can plant some gospel seeds just by asking some good questions. But let's go on. There's a fourth principle here, which I think is incredibly important. The effective witness is prepared. Verse 35 is just a mind blower to me. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. In short, Philip knew his Bible. Philip knew his Bible. He'd done his homework and it just happened to be where the man was reading and Philip was able to explain about the atoning death of Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for our sins as it was prophesied through Isaiah centuries before it ever happened. He knew the scriptures well enough to lead someone to Christ. Now, 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 don't blurt out your answer, please. Don't blurt out your answer. Don't raise your hand. It's just for you to ponder. If someone came to you this afternoon and said, you know, I don't understand it, but God's doing something in me. It's, it, I've been thinking about becoming a Christian. I've been reading some. I've been watching, you know, some podcasts and 
I know, I, I think you're a Christian, right? Could, could you tell me how to become a Christian? If somebody came to you today, don't blurt out your answer, don't raise your hand, would you know where to take them in the Bible? Would you be able to explain to them how they can become a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, this is not a guilt trip. This is not a guilt trip. I hope you would be able to do that. But if not, if not, my desire is that over time, you would be able to guide someone in the Bible, like Philip did, and just take them to the Scripture and be able to explain what it means to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And by the way, if you're not real great at that, or, or, or even if you are, one of the ways that a lot of effective witnesses share is by keeping some gospel tracks with them. You know, just some really good tracks that aren't hokey and, and, and that aren't, you know, just, uh, you know, inappropriate. And there are some of those out there, by the way, but just some good, solid gospel tracks that just winsomely present the gospel. Here's the value of leaving someone with some literature like that, a pamphlet or a, or a track. They can take it with them. And I have met so many people through the years who simply came to faith in Christ because someone shared a gospel track. And they went home, and in the privacy of their own home, they read it, and the Spirit opened their heart to Jesus Christ. Ah, Philip was such an effective witness. But you know, you know what I'm struck by? He apparently went beyond a salvation prayer. Now, we don't know how much time transpired because Time is condensed here in this story. There was probably at least several hours that went by, probably at least in this conversation. But apparently Philip talked to him about discipleship. He probably said, now that you've trusted in Christ, you know, there's some first steps of obedience that you need to take, sir. And one of them is to be baptized in water because when they came to some water, the text says, the man said, whoa, here's some water. Why shouldn't I get baptized like right now? That is so impressive. So whether you're thoroughly trained to be a witness, whether you're able to guide someone in the scriptures, I, I, whether you are or not, the one thing that we can all do is we can all invite people to church. That is a form of witnessing. One of the stories I love to tell is the story of Peggy Jones. She was a beloved Christian at Grace for many years, and she passed away some years ago. But I'll never forget, it was at our three Cerrone Commercial Drive building. I'll never forget the first time I met Peggy Jones. She had been invited by her sister, who just said, hey, I'm going to this church. I love it. Come check it out with me. And Peggy did. I'll never forget it. I can still see it in my mind's eye. I met Peggy after the service and I said, hey, how did you, it's your first time here, right? How, did, how was the service for you? And she immediately said, your sermon was way too long. <laughs> That's what she said. And she went on and she began to critique the sermon like you've never heard. And she said, you lost all the people around me. They were dozing off. Their minds were wandering. And I was listening to her critique and it went on for minutes. And I don't know what she expected to hear back from me. 
But I smiled and said, Peggy, thank you so much for that input. I am always trying to improve and learn. Oh, I wanna get better in serving God. Thank you for that important input that you've shared. Peggy never missed a Sunday after that. And God began to stir her. God began to draw her to Christ for salvation. And in just a matter of a few months, she was a sold out follower of Jesus Christ, serving him with all of her heart. All of that happened. Yeah, praise God. It's an amazing story. But all that happened because her sister said, come and check it out. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask for a show of hands right now. It's a simple question. How many of you first came to check out Grace Fellowship in some way simply because a coworker, a family member, a friend, someone in your neighborhood, just somebody in your life simply told you about it and gave you an invitation. Hey, you ought to come and check it out sometime. Can I see your hand, please? If you first encountered Grace Fellowship, whoa, that is a ton of people, all from a simple invitation. And there's so many great things we can invite people to. Kid Venture, if they have children, what a wonderful ministry that is. Or GF Youth, Grace Fellowship Youth, if they have teenagers, young people in their family. You can invite them to be a part of all kinds of ministries that go on at Grace Fellowship. Invitations are powerful. But don't ever forget the power of your testimony as well. Some of you are listening to me right now and you're feeling a little bummed. You're going, oh, Pastor Rex, I'm kind of, I know you're not trying to do a guilt trip or anything, but, but I just feel kind of bad because I, I don't really know my Bible that well and, I, and I'm not even great at conversation, so I don't even invite many people and that kind of thing. But can I say to you, ma'am, sir, do you have a testimony? I love that story in John 9 where Jesus healed a man who had been blind from birth and, and the religious leaders attacked the man and said, listen, do you believe that he's a sinner or a prophet, this Jesus? And the guy's like, look, I'm not a theologian. I'll leave that to you guys. I don't know the scriptures like you do. So I'll leave to you whether he's a sinner or a prophet. I don't know, but I do know this. Once I was blind... And now I see. Listen, you can do that. If you're a follower of Jesus today, if he's forgiven you of your sins, if he's changing you from the inside out, at the very least, when the time is right, you can say to anyone joyfully, I once was blind spiritually, but Jesus has opened my eyes and wow, everything is changing. There's one final principle I want you to consider today as we wrap up. That is the effective witness. Ooh, this is so important. Wow. Leaves the results to God. I think we turn some people off because of our aggressive nature at times and that we want to get an immediate decision because it'll make us feel a lot better. Hey, if I walked up to you right now and said, look, I've got a 2020 Range Rover SUV. 
very expensive vehicle, a 2020 model Ranger, Range Rover SUV, and I'll sell it to you for $3,000. But caveat, I need to have the check within five minutes or it's a no deal. I doubt if I'd get many checks. You know why? Because you're sharper than that. You go, well, does it have a motor? <laughs> well, you go, well, 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 has it been totaled? Is that what you're trying to push off on me? Is it, is it just a picture of a Range Rover that you're trying to sell me for 3,000 bucks or is it the real deal? What condition is it? You would wanna know more. And when we come to people and go, hey, great news, Jesus will change your life forever. He'll forgive all your sins and you can go to heaven and not hell. You need to decide right now. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. They're gonna have questions. Unless God has already done a lot of work up front over a long period of time, trust me, they're not gonna be ready to sign on the dotted line. The process of coming to genuine faith in Christ usually takes some time. That's why I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter three. I planted the seed, these gospel seeds. Apollos watered it. He watered the seed that I'd planted, but God made it grow. And then I, I love the words that follow. He just kind of puts all of our work in perspective. Whatever your gifts are, whether you're a sower, a waterer, a harvester, he puts it all in perspective. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. We're no big deal. You think you're... So Listen, you're just an instrument. At best, you're like a surgical assistant. God's the surgeon. We're just surgical assistants. God says scalpel, scalpel. Suction, suction. That's all we are. That's important. But God is the one who does the spiritual surgery. But only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. I love the way Bill Bright defined evangelism. He said it's sharing Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. So here's my challenge as we close. This week, you're on mission. This week, you're like Philip. And whatever's going on in your life, are you willing to be open to divine appointments for God to nudge you, even if it means getting out of your routine? Are you willing to persevere with it and, and stick, stick with it, okay? Are you, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take the initiative when it's appropriate to do so? Maybe by asking some probing, open-ended questions and then listening well. Are you prepared? as best you can be for that encounter? And are you willing to leave the results to God? Listen, if you sow water this week, you may plant all kinds of gospel seeds. You may water seeds that somebody else has planted. I don't know what God will call you to do. But listen, it's very likely that at the end of this week, you may not have a clue what difference your effort has made. That's very likely but one day you will. And as sure as I'm standing here, 
one day in heaven, people are gonna walk up to you and go, you probably have no clue. You may not even remember, but do you remember I worked in that cubicle over next to you? You remember down at the company office and we had some water cooler conversations. <laughs> you may not even remember, but you, you asked me some questions that I just couldn't get out of my mind. And wow, God used those in my life. And, and I just want to say thank you because humanly speaking, God used you in, as an instrument in my life. And I'm here humanly speaking. Oh, praise, all praise be to God, but I'm humanly speaking. I'm here today because God used you in a big way. Father, would you help us to be that kind of people? And like Philip, I ask that you would use our lives in ways that are way beyond us because we can't convert anyone. We don't have that power. That's not our prerogative. What we can do is be open and we can plant those seeds and we can water. And when you give the opportunity, we can harvest. We just wanna be co-workers with you. So thank you, Lord, for the privilege of all that. We don't take it for granted. And I ask that this week, you would just set us in motion and we would go where you want us to go, say what you want us to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.